0: Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com this week we learned Parashai More we we'll read Parashai More and in Parashite More it says in the it says in, in Leviticus 21.1 it says God says to Moses say to the priests Aaron's sons and you shall say to them let no priest become ritually impure through contact with a dead person so the purpose of the apparent redundancy in this verse say to the priest follow shortly by you shall say to them is to enjoin adults with regards to minors. So really what Moses is telling Aaron his brother is to tell to teach the younger generation of how they should behave, how they should conduct themselves in life. So the first says addressed to Moses the first God says to Moses, is God saying to Moses, and you shall say to them, is an instruction to the priest to maintain their, child, their, their children's state of ritual purity. So, in this literal sense, this, um, this uh, pasuk, it's talking literally about the priests and their children, but in reality, it's talking to all the Jewish people because all the Jewish people were a nation of priests. We were all supposed to be Koanim. But because of, 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 of the sins that we committed, we were taking this away from us. So the this injunction holds the priests responsible for the children's behavior. Not just their education. It's telling us, yes, you have to educate your children. You know, right now, it's interesting because right now, children are home, parents are teaching their children, helping them, uh, helping with the homeschooling through the Zoom classes and everything. So today, as we're speaking right now, the children have more contact with their home environment and they're much more aware of the behavior of their parents in inside the home 24 hours a day in a moment of a lot of stress and uh, uncertainty, and this really is the biggest lesson you can give your children. It's not so much that one plus one is two and A, B, C, D, or if your older children are learning bigger, more knowledgeable things. The biggest lesson you can give your children at this moment, and this is what this PASUK this is telling us, this is what it's telling us, is that, yes, you have to teach your children about life, they have to learn things so they can go to the supermarket and know how much something is gonna cost and if they buy this plus this plus this and in their lives, so they can have an awareness of money and awareness of, of how to read and write, it's important. But what this is telling us is that more than what the responsibility of a parent, more than teaching their children education, the biggest responsibility a parent has with their kids is to teach them good behavior not just their education so more generally speaking it teaches that parents are obliged not just to impart knowledge to their children but to ensure their children translate that knowledge into practice what type of human beings they're gonna be and right now in these moments that we're living in which we're all together for hours and hours and hours uh, till no end, what a better opportunity to teach your kids about the exemplary behavior of parents, that they should conduct themselves in such ways that this is what their children are going to gain at this moment in their lives. These, these lessons are, are going to be imparted in this, you know, as long as we're having to be home, are going to really mark a very big impression on them for the rest of their lives so this obligation of parental supervision is specific to three areas of Jewish law and it's the prohibition against eating insects the prohibition of drinking blood and the prohibition of ritual impurity to do things that make a person impure So it's wider reading as a universal message to all educators can be informed by three uh, instances from which the important lesson is born. So the first area of behavior uh, that parents are asked to teach their children that is uh, very important is that they should monitor that their children should not eat creepy crawlers. They're not, it's, it's forbidden by the Torah. A Jew should never eat an insect, God forbid. It's really not, um, it, it, it's in the Torah. It's not kosher. We're forbidden from doing it. And um, and it's actually a biblical prohibition, and you would say, yeah, it sounds right, it sounds easy, like, who's going to eat an insect? But you would be amazed, you see what people eat in other places. So, it's not so easy also when your child is crawling, when he's in the floor all day, when you're in in Central Park and you put your kid in the floor, and he's an eight-month-old baby that's putting everything in his mouth, most likely he'll find a worm and he'll stick it inside of his mouth. So far more difficult is practicing the educational idea that this law represents. So according to the Talmud, the desire to eat insects is unnatural. This is not something natural, humanly natural, to want to eat an ant or a spider or something like that. And it's really motivated by a rebellious urge to act against Hashem who forbade them to eat from these insects so the bug eater is a representation of a child that does not possess the inclination to know and learn more it's a kid that is, is happy with the status quo he doesn't want to know about Hashem he's not interested in learning about God he's, he resists and rebels against educa- the educator and the educational system that offers the, the, the knowledge to him So in a more general sense, it represents a person who is set in his or her own views and doesn't have space in his mind to learn something new. Encountering this this disinterested student is very, um, how would you say, it's very frustrating for a teacher or for a parent when you want to teach something to somebody and the person really doesn't care, he doesn't want to learn. And I imagine that teachers are exposed to this many times in a classroom of 23 kids. Most likely they have at least one that is looking up and is really clueless of what's going on in the classroom and it doesn't matter what the teacher does, what new incentives he brings and how he's uh, creative in the way of teaching, this kid is really Um, uh, a challenge to the teacher or to the parent because there's no worse uh, student than the one that doesn't want to learn. How can you teach something to somebody that that doesn't want to learn? He's not interested. So the Torah choice of this unique context as it is first called for education is it is way of proclaiming its first rule of education and the first rule of education is that there is no such thing as a person who cannot be reached for rede- or redeemed. We are forbidden to view any child, doesn't matter the age, his knowledge, if he's intelligent, not intelligent, as, as an unteachable child. There's, I heard once someone say that there's no bad students, there's bad teachers. Because a teacher, if he's a good, good teacher, he'll know how to get to the heart and the brain of this child. He just has to put the effort. It's a little more effort, but we should never give up on a student because you never know when things, when something is gonna go into his head and it's gonna inspire him and then he'll he'll change completely. So it says here that in nineteen in two thousand three, uh, <clears throat> professor professor Alan Der, Der Sowitz. Uh, addressed about his relationship and reflections with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he said that about 15 or 20 years ago, he's talking this in 2003, so imagine 20 years before, he had the chutzpah, the audacity, in the worst sense of the word, to write an arrogant letter to the Rebbe. And he wrote this letter because he had read in a newspaper that the Lubavitcher Rebbe uh, or the Lubavitch movement was honoring, honoring Jesse Helms and the, there was no man in America that Professor Professor Dershowitz hated more than this Jesse Helms uh, he despised him and as a, as a chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee he absolutely stood for everything that he was opposed to in those days so including being strongly against the state of Israel. this uh, Jesse Helms was someone that really was very against Israel. So he wrote a letter, uh, Professor Dershowitz wrote a letter to the Rebbe, in essence, and he put it in his letter like this. He said, how can you honor a man who stands for everything that is, that is opposed to the Jewish values in America? and surprisingly he received a letter back from the Rebbe, a very respectful letter, a letter that he cherishes still today, and he lectured him, but in the nicest way, telling him that you never give up on anybody. You never, ever, ever give up on somebody today Jesse Helms may be against Israel but you never know if tomorrow depending on how Jewish people treat him he can change the way he he thinks about the state of Israel and a person that can be an enemy of Israel can become suddenly a champion for Israel so uh, Rabbi Dershowitz ends telling that a That the rest of the story is known, that at the end, this Jesse Helms although there's many issues he still doesn't uh, share with him but nevertheless he became a good friend of Israel and he's, uh, he helps Israel so the, the second area of behavior that parents are obliged to really look after the, their kids and police them about it is the child's intake of blood. Jewish religion forbids, forbids it's a prohibition of, of, the, of the Torah of ingesting blood, we are prohibited from it. We're not uh, vampires, and uh, it's interesting because in, in in the past, Jews have been. Uh, Targeted, And they, it has been said in anti-Semitic remarks that the Jewish people killed Christian babies and they take out their blood and they drink it for Pesach and they make matzahs with it. So this is farthest from the truth. Anybody that knows about re- Jewish religion knows that Jewish people are forbidden from drinking milk. So a revealing comment in the Midrash suggests that there was a time when Jewish people were animal blood consumers in the times of of Egypt, they were very much affected and and assimilated to the Egyptian culture and they used to drink blood, they used to do this. So hence the verse it says, be strong not to eat blood. What it means is that there is an urge to do it as if it takes courage to cut cut down uh, on blood but it did take strength and courage since over time it has become a part of the Jewish appetite and diet so does blood eating represents bad habits entrenched in one's characters and psyche or a lifestyle that is not consistent with the refined ideals of Judaism? Here too we encounter a challenge common to educators No matter what one may teach his or her charges of the elevated atmosphere one may create in the classroom, so much of a child's molding depends of his home in the environment that he grows up to. Like a kid can go to a, the most refined school where he's learning the most incredible, uh, refined midots, character traits, but nevertheless, if he comes to a house where the father's hitting the mother, where the mother's always drunk, where there, all these things are going on, it's very hard to, to rectify this in, in the psyche of a child. It must feel so futile for the teacher to teach one thing at a school, only to have it discounted or contradicted at home. It's funny, because when we came to live in Miami, my husband, my children, and I, in 1998, I think it's 22 years already, I was very secular, very open-minded. I didn't keep kosher. I didn't keep a kosher home. Nevertheless, we ended up putting our children in a Jewish day school. And the Jewish day school was kosher it was very strict in in kashrut and in the kids wearing tzitzits and kippas and the girls wearing skirts and I thought that everybody in that school was kosher and religious and I said to my husband you know if the kids are going to a kosher school and their their environment in school is kosher and they're teaching them about kashrut and they're they're learning about this how can they come to a house where they don't eat kosher we need to change this we need to make the home kosher and that's what I did, I made my home kosher and that was the first step in my, in my teshuvah. and by eating kosher, then everything else followed and we're here today but what it means, what this is teaching us is that it has to be hand in hand like if you put your kid in a certain school in a religious school you cannot be in a non-religious home you cannot live in a house where you don't practice anything because what messages are you sending to your to your child so this equally if not specially true of adult education, the added challenge in trying to influence older people is that having reached a certain comfort zone in life they are less prone to the youthful openness and excitement necessary to achieve real challenge so the older you get the more set you're in your ways the more comfortable you're in your lifestyle and it's harder to penetrate the soul of that person yet again the Torah message is clear here again don't underestimate the power of education it can be very hard, but it's not impossible. You never know which insight or story or, or uh, inspiration a person can get from a person and then suddenly they can change their whole life forever. You never know, maybe one word you say, maybe one action you made, maybe a way you behaved in a certain situation, people are looking. People are looking. So, so we see here that, uh, that as far as adult students go, uh, some of Judaism's most prominent scholars, leaders got off to a late start like Abraham, Moses, Jonah, Rabbi Akiva, Onkelos to name a few. And then we have the third area and the last one of Jewish law that calls for parental supervision and is the one referred to the earlier, the commandment to maintain the purity of priestly children. According to Jewish thought, the laws of impurity are not governed by the laws of logic. They're illogical. They're hukim. And they, they represent Judaism that are super, super rational laws. So some people think that if it's not logical, then you cannot teach it to a child. Like you have to start with, lo- with logic. And they, and they think that first you have to help the kid connect to logic so they can then go back, go to faith. And, they, and we see that the notion could be no further from the truth. Firstly, children have a special capacity for faith. Kids are closer to Hashem than we are. They came... Uh, they came just a little while ago, so they're co- more connected to, to, to the suprarational and to Hashem. It, if you talk to a kid about God, for them, it's not something weird that you're talking about. For them, it's very, very real. So, so we see here that... If ever there is a time to teach a Jewish child faith in it, it's in her formative years. The more, the younger you teach them about Hashem, the younger you teach them about having faith and emuna and showing him and showing them Hashem's miracles and talking about miracles and talking about how Hashem helps you in this incredible way and in that incredible way, that then the more likely your child is gonna be more connected. To the truth, to Hashem, to the to the to the to the faith. Indeed, so important was it to one Hasidic rabbi, Rebbe, that his children begin their education by studying the miraculous, miraculous aspects of the Torah. When he found out that his children, his children's teacher, had skipped the account of creation he had them immediately removed from that classroom because the creation of the world is supra-rational. Imagine God spoke and he created. You have to have a fantastic mind to believe in that. In that um, in that, uh, in that accounting of the Torah. Most people believe in, in the theory of evolution and that there was a big bang and that the world was created by an explosion, whatever, because it's scientifically proved and the and, and logic comes into place. It's very hard for people to believe that God created the world. So the same perspective applies when introducing initiated Jews to Judaism, one approach is to begin teaching them the logics of, of the Torah and the logical part of, of the Torah so you don't overwhelm them with the, with the knowledge of the supra-rational. And, and the truth is that this won't take them anywhere they will never end up being kosher they will never end up going to the mikveh and doing these crazy things that look like from, uh, from like acts of, of, of voodoo to them, because for them it's like super rational. Like it doesn't make any logic that a woman has to go to a to a pool of water to get to purify herself so she can be back with her husband. It, if you think about it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Or that you cannot mix milk and meat. Or that you cannot uh, wear a garment that has both linen and wool sewn together. Where is that? Like, what logic is into that? So, firstly. We have to teach the basis of faith. Faith is the most important thing. If we're not connected to our emuna and our bitajon, then there's no relationship with God. There's no way. And, 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 and Judaism is really not a religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And it has to be lived in that way. So this philosophy is fundamentally flawed, as introduces God through the mind, not the soul, essentially declaring logic as the basis of the Jewish faith and not faith as the basis of the Jewish logic. First, we're, we're, we're believers, children of believers. This is what a Jew is. So who better to learn from than God? who chose Genesis, Bereshit, as the starting point of education, beginning his children's schooling with the awesome and supernatural account of creation. So eh, I want to leave you here, wish you a blessed week, and um, I want to remind you that on Shabbat we are going to be celebrating Pesach Sheini. It's, um, it's uh, the 15th of E.R. is one month after Pesach and that day is a day of second chances. There were some Jews that when they left Egypt, they were not able to participate in the Paschal offering because they were impure because they had been burying the dead that had died before they left Egypt. They were burying them and they didn't have time to... To, uh, to, to purify themselves and offer the sacrifice so they missed it so they said to God that it was not fair that it was not fair that they weren't able to offer the paschal lamb and Hashem gave them another opportunity a month later on the 15th of Iyar he gave them a Pesach Sheni it's, it's second chances Hashem always gives us a second opportunity and it's a custom on that day that we should eat some matzah we should eat matzah To remind ourselves that Hashem always, always is waiting for us to to turn around and give us another chance. So I want to wish you a blessed week. And remember, live a little higher. Thank you.